And it's so good to be with you. I hope you guys all enjoyed assessment day. Yeah, yeah right, right. Um, I, I, uh, I have decided to petition the university. I think assessment day should be the day after the Super Bowl. Do you know what I'm like? Why do we want to go to class that day? You know what I mean? Like we're all gonna be up late that night. We're gonna see if after the game, if Taylor gets her ring. Do you know what I mean? Like. I just feel like if she got her ring, everybody would get the vaccine. I'm just saying, like, my, my Travis is my Pfizer guy, so I'm just saying, like, it could be, it could be great. It could be great. Well, I'm not saying, like, the Chiefs have to win, like, but I just think, I think it would be appropriate, you know. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge Chiefs fan, so... Hey, uh, tonight we are going to continue in our Proverbs series called Got Wisdom. And tonight we're going to be talking about a topic in which Jesus talked about more than any other topic other than the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about a topic in which Jesus, in 39 of his, of his parables, he talked about this in 11 of them. Over 15% of his preaching was about the topic that we are talking about tonight. I have some of my favorite theologians that have spoken on this topic also. And I have their uh, verse, some of their quotes here to put on the screen for you. Yes, Snoop Dogg said, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Yes, Biggie said, it's more money, more problems. And Puff said, it's all about the Benjamins. Now, what I understand is that we're from different generations. And I understand all of you guys didn't grow up on 90s rap, but you really should have. It was the best of times. East Coast, West Coast was a thing like that you guys don't even fully get, but it was there. Okay, and so tonight, you are right. We are talking about money. Now, this is cash. Okay. Now look, here's, here's what I know. You guys don't always carry cash. Some of you have never even seen cash, right? Okay. And so I actually brought this for you. Um, and so, yeah, right? There you go. Like, you're, you're, like, you're all going to be so glad. You're like, I came to the TNL in Festival Conference Room 7, and Josh handed out dollar bills right there. So you just take them, pass them down. If you get more at the end, just pass them to the back. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 okay, okay, this is, this came out of my own personal bank today, so I'm just, just uh, <laughs> I am, yeah, there are some random $2 bills in there too, um, so, you know, you're just taking the chance, and so there's, this is also how we're counting how many people were here tonight, because we know how many dollar bills were here, so, uh, there you go. What a night. What, what a time to be alive, right? There you go. Oh, look, there's a, yeah. No, there's no fives for sure. Was that? You have to play the Randy Boss. Straight cash, homie. Straight cash, homie. Has everyone been served that would like to be served? <laughs> Did anybody not get dollar bills? Okay. Uh, so yeah, if, if you're at the end and you've got extra, you can just have it. It doesn't matter, you know.
Ah. So let's get into it. Let's talk about. First, let's see our JMU staff person of the week. This is Aaron Combs. He works at UREC. Uh, and Aaron, like, really dynamically loves Jesus. Um, and he has mentioned that if any of you are interested in spiritual conversation and you're at UREC, he would love to talk with you. Uh, but we named our series Got Wisdom, right, a bit off the ad campaign for Milk, where they were talking about Got Milk. And this was also in the 90s, right, when Puff and Biggie and... Okay, good, good, okay, yeah, you see that, you see that, you see that, yeah, right. Okay, and it's like this sense that like the ad campaign was there and it was trying to tell us the benefits of drinking milk, the benefits of having milk in our diet and that, that we have been seeing the Proverbs are trying to teach us the benefit of having wisdom in our diet. Wisdom in our life, and we have seen that, that when we talk about wisdom, wisdom is not always just knowledge, but it's also knowledge that has been applied. It's the sense that as we learn things that we can then put them into practice. And the series is, is designed to be very practical skills for you as you spend your time here at JMU, as you spend your time at Bridgewater, as you spend your time at UVA for some of you that are gathered here, right? Or at uh, Skyline Middle School. Okay, in this sense, like this wisdom, it can matter in your everyday life. We're looking at these different topics that the Proverbs talks about over and over and over again. And one of the things that we're going to see throughout the book of Proverbs is that the topic of money comes up often. Now, money, like money can be a wild thing to talk about, right? Some of you grew up in houses where you weren't allowed to talk about money. Some of you grew up in houses where you had a lot of money. Uh, others of you grew up in houses where you didn't have money. And others of you grew up in houses where you weren't sure if you had money or if you didn't, or it also mattered in the different seasons of your life. Some of your uh, home in which you grew up in, they were spenders, or they were savers, or they were scrooges, or they were generous. There are a lot of different ways in which we have seen money handled in our lives. But then we think about, like, how many of you are taking a class, like, on budgeting while you're here at JMU? Has anybody taught you how to do your taxes? No. Right? Come on. This is a very practical topic that we need to talk about more. Houses, or we have the mindset that if you have money, that is not godly. Or if you have too much money, or if you don't have enough money, we, we can find ourselves a lot of different baggage and a lot of different thoughts into a conversation on money, and that's why I'm excited to get into our topic tonight to get into what the problem. Proverbs chapter, let's say 22. Okay. Again, Proverbs are in the middle. If you open your Bible to the middle, that should be the Psalms. Keep turning to the right. You'll find yourself in the Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you at the welcome table. If you just want to throw your hand up in the air and wave it around like you just don't care. 
Anybody? Yes, I see that hand. Paul, Paul, Paul. Sorry, I'm having trouble finding it myself. Okay, before we start, I want to get a disclaimer out there. I know when we start to talk about money, some of you have already begun to tune me out because you're like, yo, I'm in college, I ain't got no money. <laughs> you're like, do you even know what it's like, Josh? A little bit, yes, I do know a little bit. It's been 20 years since I was in college, but yes, I do have a general idea of what happens and <laughs> what it can feel like. Yeah, it's way by puff and yeah, okay, anyways. Uh, and so, but the principles that you believe about money and the way that you treat money will not change when you have money. The principles are deeper than that. So getting things situated right now and having an understanding of why and how to treat money is going to be important in your everyday life right now and will be important as you continue in your life in Jesus. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. Let's start right here. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. This is a key principle when we talk about money because we need to have outset that it does like the amount of money you have does not increase your favor with God. The amount of money you have does not increase your favor with other people, or at least it shouldn't. That we are all made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them in the sense that the way in which we were created, the way in which the Lord has himself in each of us in order for us to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of God, in order for us to grow in these things does not depend on how much money you have. And unfortunately, this can be a frustrating thing in the culture in which we live, right? Because we see people and we see statuses that are increased depending on how much or how little money is had. We see families, we see people that begin to group themselves by socioeconomic standards. And we see people begin to make friendships based on, on the amount of money that they may perceive that their friends have or have not. I use the word perceived there because I'm very deceiving when it comes to how much money people have. Because, especially in the American culture in which we live in right now, it is very common to be in debt up to your eyeballs. That looks can be very deceiving. And as you think about, like you're like, man, how do they afford that car? Or how do they have that house in the neighborhood? Or how are they going to that college? Or, or how are they doing this? Or, or how are they always at Chipotle? And double meat with guac. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, how are they doing that? They're actually just in a tremendous amount of debt. Crippling debt. I looked up the statistics. Okay, I was going to put them on a graph, but uh, evidently I've been using too many graphs this semester, okay? So no graphs today. Okay. Okay, the average American household has over $100,000 in consumer debt. That does not include their mortgage. That does not include student loans. Okay, the average American mortgage per household right now is 235000 and the average uh, school debt upon graduation is 30000 
okay, which is more than doubled since 2007, which was a really frustrating statistic because 2007 is actually when I graduated. And I'm like, why is that? Like, why are we? Why is that the date we go back to? Okay, and so like, there's this sense that like. Like the idea, like as we look around, like debt is just so common. Now I think part of the reason it's so common is because this is actually what the American government does, right? Okay, I looked up the debt counter this past week. We were $34 trillion in debt as a nation. Okay, that is, uh, okay, there's actually, you can bring it up and it would like do it live and you can just like, you know, like you just watch it just continue to increase. Okay, uh, that is over $100,000 per individual in America, not just household. That is wild. The way in which we spend money and the way in which these things are like, it's out there. It's like, this is crazy. And actually, I think the Proverbs speak to these types of relationships that we have with money. Continue down just a few verses into verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Okay, so look, I really meant it when I said, and, and the, the proverb was really meant it, that rich and poor, they are all the same. But then we also know, and we have seen it in our own relationships, that when this, this idea of debt comes into a relationship, it changes things. And that we, as the people of God should not put ourselves in these types of situations because they can be so hard to get out of. And they can be so frustrating, they can be so crippling in the sense that like what is so normal around us doesn't have to be normal for us. And did you know, okay, so um, I have a mortgage because you know, I'm old. Okay. It's like a thing that I do. Okay. I pay a mortgage. Uh, when you, uh, sign, if you ever wanted to buy a house one day, or if you like, if that is in your future, uh, when you go to buy the house, okay, we signed up for a 30 year loan. Okay. Which is like, you guys are like 30 years. Like that is so old. It is it's a long time. It's a long time to have a loan. Okay. And what they do is they give you a sheet of paper and, and it like get, goes over the terms and you sign it and like we like you and if you get an interest rate at 2.75% which is unheard of right now okay but it wasn't you know when I was a kid um, and so there's a sense that like if you do this over the course of, if you get a $285,000 house at 2.75% for 30 years you're going to pay an extra $165,000 in interest over the course of that loan. And they make you sign saying that you acknowledge this. And you're like, yep, I guess it's what I have to do. Now get this, if the interest rate doubles to 5.5% uh, on $285,000, it's not just an extra $165,000, it's an extra $315,000. You would pay more than double for what you agreed for the house. Okay, and they make you sign these things at the beginning. Now, here's what I'm getting at with this. You guys are, most of you are not in a position to buy a house right now. It's like, look, the, the, like that example is going right over my head. I don't know why are we talking about this. Like, why are we saying this? But every single one of you or the majority of you have credit cards that have way worse interest rates than that. You wish it was 5.5%. It's actually 19.5% if you're lucky. It might be 27.99%. And then when you buy the Chipotle burrito with the extra meat and the guac, and we, uh, where's Addison? 
We decided you should just go to Qdoba, right? Because the guac is free and the queso comes with it. Okay, I don't know why you guys gotta be going to this Chipotle trash and doing that to yourself. They 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 fleeced you. Okay, if you buy that on credit and you just pay the minimum, you're not paying nine dollars for that burrito. You are wishing you were paying eighteen dollars for that burrito. You're paying thirty thirty five dollars for that burrito. And did you know that you are two and a half? Like when you, uh, if you go somewhere, if you go to the store and you pay cash, I gave you all some cash tonight. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time you've seen cash. Okay. If you, uh, if you pay with a card instead of paying with cash, you, the average American consumer spends two and a half times more just because they swiped it because they didn't even feel it. It's pretend money anyway. And you know who's taught you that it's pretend money? The university. Right? You're just swiping those dining dollars like they're not even real. Like, sure, I, I heard some of you out there tonight. I'll punch you. It doesn't matter to me. These aren't real swipes to me. I don't even care. Right? Like, that's crazy. Like, do you know what those, like, that's wild. <laughs> okay, and there's like, there's this sense, and what the Proverbs tells us is that the borrow is, borrower is slave to the lender because it's like, when will I ever get out of this? <laughs> you just declare bankruptcy and move on, or if you're the American government, you just find a war to get into. Uh, <laughs> we need to take a step back right now before we go any further. Okay, uh, the average student loan debt, I told you, is up to $30,000. The average JMU grad from 2022 made $57,000. Uh, slightly more if you were an ISAT or engineering major like Levi. Okay, and so they are at the top end of that. Okay, uh, slightly less if you're an intern in the house tonight. Okay, uh, right, and so... <laughs> are helping the data, right? Okay, $57,000. Like some of you are like, that's a lot of money. And it is. $57,000 is a tremendous amount of money. But it can go really quickly. And it can go even more quickly if you're $100,000 in consumer debt. Chi Alpha, can I encourage you to not please can I encourage you do not go into debt like the rest of the world around you do not oh you thought it was going to be an encouragement you you going to grad school Okay, so I think, okay, here's, here's, here's listen up. I, okay, I'm losing you. Come on back, come on back, come on back. Okay, when it comes to school debt, okay, there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. Good debt is on something that will appreciate. Bad debt is on something that will depreciate. Okay, if you buy a brand new car and you drive it off the lot, it is now worth half what you paid for it, right? And all you did was turn it on, right? Okay, if you, okay, school loans can sometimes be good debt. 
okay because it increases your earning potential it is sometimes not good debt it's bad debt because it has not increased your earning potential or it has not increased your earning potential uh, for what the university has cost you okay JMU is a pretty good value for public education there are other schools out there that cost a significantly more and it's still a liberal arts degree, which still doesn't do you a lot. Do you know what I mean? Okay, now look, I majored in religious studies. Like, what do you do with that? You do this, okay? This, yeah. this is what we've got, right? Or you go to grad school, okay? Yeah. And so it's like the sense that like, as you like are processing like what is good debt and what is bad debt, Chipotle is always bad debt. Okay? It only fills you in the moment. It's you're gonna. It's gonna cost you twice as much because of the two ply. Okay. It's um, good. Talk about it. But look, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like the only way to be normal is to be in tremendous amounts of debt. You can live a life that is free from being slave to a lender. And that you can live your life free in Jesus, and you can live your financial life free also. <coughs> now look, Katie and I have, a, have student loans, and we had a tremendous amount of them when we got married. And we have been slowly chipping away. But the Lord has been gracious, and we will pay them off before Emma goes to college. Uh, okay? You know what I mean? Right? Uh, but we're hoping that she just does well enough to where she can just pay for herself. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe she's going to go on a acting scholarship. Like, who knows what's going to happen? Okay? And so, like, there's, like, a lot of options out there. Okay? And so, like, I just think, like, right now, I know it feels hard. It's like, I don't have any money. Like, what about, like, I'll, I'll figure this budgeting thing out when I have money. I'll figure it out when I, do, when I get my first job. I'll figure it out when, when I get married. I'll figure it out when I find another apartment. I'll figure it out when I have a better job. And, like, just figuring it out never comes. Can I encourage you? Figure it out now. Find a way to live within your means now. Find a way to make a budget and stick to it. And this will serve you well for the rest of your life. You won't find yourself continuing that cycle, but you'll find yourself being able to live financially free. Proverbs 16.8 says, It's better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. And I believe that it does us injustice when we add consumer debt and debt ratios that we cannot actually afford. The next two problems that we look at are going to talk about some things that are different because of the way I think like living off a budget and I think like understanding that how much money you make is not the most important thing about you is a way in which everyone should live, right? But the next things that we're going to talk about that the Proverbs talk about are some things that, that can particularly be unique to our, the way in which we as the people of God view money and what money means to us. And so we're going to look at Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10, which says, Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Flo's book, right? That just makes total sense to all of us. All the barns that we have and the vats that we keep storing, we're hoping that they'll overflow, right? Proverbs, 
Proverbs 11, uh, 25 to 26 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. Now, in our first one we looked at, it says to honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth. This is a throwback to the Mosaic Law, which is actually something the Proverbs don't do very often. And when she's like, like, and it's this sense of like throwing, like, what, is, what does first fruits mean? Well, the Israelites, as they were uh, wandering to and fro, as they were moving about, as they had the tabernacle, as they, they're crossing the Red Sea, like, they are an agrarian society. In the sense that as they, they grew their own food, like they planted their own crops, and, and as they would harvest them, the Mosaic Law would say that you would give the first fruits, the best portion, something off the top, that which would uh, have cost you something, and often it would have been 10%. This is where we get the term tithe from. Maybe you grew up in a church and you heard people talk about tithing or you've been in a church now and they say, we're now going to give our tithes and our offerings. And this is, a, this is an Old Testament concept in which the people of God took 10% off the top and they gave it to the house of God. Now, some of you, you've been wondering like, well, you know, I've read the New Testament and I ain't never seen no tithe in there. You're right. I believe that the concept of a New Testament tithe does not appear, but I think it's because Jesus asked us to give a whole lot more than 10%. That he would cause us to live lives of radical generosity. Of having the sense of like what we have been giving and is not our own, but that he, the God of abundance, has given us the chance to be little stewards of the portion of which he has given us so that we may use it to bless ourselves and to bless the world around us. And how many of you know that as you look around the world around you, you know that the world needs some blessing? How many of you know that as you look at your own life, you realize that I need some blessing? And I believe the Lord is creating these moments in order for us to be little stewards of what he has given us so that we may participate in the miracle of creation. Now, what I know is that when we think about this idea of like giving 10% off the top, and like you think about like so many of you have jobs, and you think about like what it would be like for you to even give 10% right now, you're like, yo, you must be crazy. Like it just ain't enough. I keep doing the math, and the math ain't mapping. And I think it's better for you to entrust that 90% to God than you try to take complete control of the 100%. And that you will live a much better life. You will be freer. The text says that, that you, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Can I implore you, test God and see. See what it would be like for you to give him a 10%, to give a portion. Now, we don't have first fruits, right? Like, there's this, this sense in, like, you go out into the field and you're like, well, that is the first strawberry and the biggest one. It's going to the Lord. <laughs> okay? Like, I'm going to go back and grab some dill and cumin and I'm putting in the offering plate next week. You just <laughs> wait till you see what that treasure box has next week. Okay? It's going to be a fragrant offering unto the Lord. 
But here's what we do. When we make a budget, we write our tithe and our generosity first. And this reminds us that no matter what, this is what we're going to give. No matter what. Always. And so far, Katie and I will be married 15 years this July. Yes, I know. I'll kick my coverage. Okay. In the sense that like, like, and there has never been a season in which we have not tithed. And things have been really tight. In some months, it's been like, well, we don't quite have enough for even a double portion of ramen. But I, it's only six cents, and I wish that we could afford it, right? And it's like, this, and you're like, is that true? It, it's not exactly, but it felt close. It felt close, okay? I didn't, I didn't want to lie into the microphone. Okay? If there was no mic, I may have. Um, that'll be a different proverb, okay? Yeah. And so, and I... Look, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how the math works out. Like, okay, I, I tried econ twice as an undergrad, and it didn't go well, okay? And some of you can relate, right? And so it makes sense to me that I don't really understand the economics of God. I don't understand the full economics of the kingdom. I don't know how he can do more with 90% than I can do with 100, but it makes sense because he's the God of abundance and I'm not. That he's the God that has created all things. That he is a God that that cares deeply for his people. That he is the God that lives a life of abundance. And that often we treat him like he's the God of scarcity. Serve an abundant God, Chi Alpha. Other Proverbs says that the, the generous man will prosper he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed okay uh, I would say this also that not only does the New Testament uh, this idea of radical generosity in the sense of like the Proverbs telling us to be generous people is that I don't think it, I don't think it should stop with just a tithe I don't think the Lord would ask for just 10%, but I think that we should be giving above and beyond what the Lord has given to us so that we may see his kingdom increase. And so not only do we have a line in our budget for tithing, we have a line in our budget for missions giving. And as you hear us pray for different nations, as you meet uh, different workers that would come through Chi Alpha, like we love the opportunity to partner with our friends that are taking the gospel to places that we have not been ourselves and that we do not currently live. And we get to see his kingdom come in ways in power, and I don't even have to be there. It's multiplication. It's exponential, and it just makes sense. But then we also have a, a line in our budget that's just for random acts of generosity. This is one of the most fun things to do. It's like we just, uh, sometimes we carry around cash, sometimes we don't. Or sometimes, you know, like you're at church, right? And they're taking up an offering and like you feel like Holy Spirit, like tugging on your, on your heart. And you're like, I, I love that idea, but I am budgeted out, brother. And Josh told me not to go into debt. And I meant it. And so that's why we have like random line items for just generosity that comes up. So or maybe like your friend is driving and their car stops working. And you're like, you know what? I can buy your new battery because I've got a random generosity fund. Or maybe you have different things that are happening in and around you and in your friends. And it's like, like so-and-so 
Like, okay, those of you that, that are in charge of the utilities in your house, you know there's this, the one person in the house that you're like, I'm just not sure that they're going to get me the electric bill this month. Okay, like, and so for some of them, it's because they just haven't done it. And for other of them, it's because like, yo, I got $20 to my name right now. Okay. It's like, you know what? I got you. I worked a line item into my budget in order for me to give random acts of generosity and so I can cover you this month. Now don't think it's gonna be every month, right? Like I want you to get back on track, okay? But I'm here for you now and like this is what the community of God can look like as we live our lives where we are not, as the text said earlier, slave to the lender, but we are instead free to live radically generous. I looked up more stats. I've been in a real stats mood recently. Okay, maybe you've noticed this about me. Okay, you're like, man, listen, another stat. Okay, uh, so average American churchgoer. This is people who like self-proclaim that they go to church, okay? And that they go, I think uh, the average person that, that says they go to church goes just under two times a month, okay? It's, that's a whole nother sermon, okay? We're not gonna get into that tonight, okay? Like, and you all don't do that, and so that's fine, okay? How many of them do you think give 10% of their income to the church? It's less than 5%. And this is of like self-reported churchgoers. Like, like when the survey came out, they're like, no, I go to church. I am a church person. And the next one's like, do you tithe? Oh, no way. No, look, I grew up in a, in a household where I had uh, my grandmother, we called her Pamaw. Yeah, right, may she rest in peace. Uh, Pamaw, uh, gosh, it's been probably two and a half years. Um, she had a very difficult cancer battle at the end. Uh, when I got my first job at 14, I worked at an arcade, uh, Royal Family Amusements, on Main Street in Front Royal. I made $4.25 an hour. What? Yeah. yeah. Right? Minimum, it was, okay, okay. It was, it was a training wage for 90 days, and then I got to go up to minimum wage, which was $5.15 an hour. And man, I tell you what, I thought, like, and I was living it, okay? I grew up in a house of savers, and so I gave 10% off the top because that's what my, well, because I, I, my, my grandmother taught me to do that. And then everything else I just put in the savings account. Like, right, like my parents were driving me to work. I didn't have to pay for gas. And like, I didn't need the money. I, I just wanted the money. I just threw it in the account, and it was like, I'm going to spend it all at UVA. And I did. Um, nice. Okay, and so... But Pamela, she always paid her tithe, okay? Towards the end of her life, my parents moved her and her husband, who we call Hun, uh, my grandfather, Pamela and Hun, uh, into their basement, uh, which is right across the street from the church to which I grew up in, okay? And she would go over on Sundays, and Hun still, like, he sometimes, like, drives his little like you know like the little walmart shopping like those he's got one of those but it's like so he just will drive that over to church right it's adorable right it can only happen in a small town right okay and so she would always put her tithe check in there until the very end okay and it, she is like quite literally on her deathbed and the pastors come over to pray for her she had missed church that week 
and the pastor came over to pray for her. It's somebody that she saw grow up. It's a, the, the pastor I grew up with. It's his son. Uh, in-law, son-in-law, sorry, let me get the facts straight there. Not that it matters to you. You're never going to meet him anyway. Uh, and he walks in and she says, I have my tithe checks in the bedroom. Hun, go get it. And he says, yeah, no, we're here to pray for you. And in that moment, it's like, it's like, it was hilarious to me, but it also like spoke of like how much it meant to her. Like, it's like there was no question in her mind that like, this is what you did. And so, like, that's what I grew up with. And so it's like, I'm just always going to do that. And I read the statistics, and most of you didn't grow up in houses like that. Most of the church doesn't act like that. Most of the church, and, and like, if we just think about how efficient the church has been at reaching the nations, operating on just 5%. And think about what could happen in neighborhoods. Think about what could happen in families. Think about what could happen in the nations if the church just operated on 50%. Let alone if she operated on 100%. And I believe that we can start a revolution from this room of radical generosity towards the Lord's house. And we can really see things take off. We could see the Great Commission in ways that, that our like, previous generations only dreamed of, but the funding just wasn't there. And I think there's a couple reasons why the funding's not there. One, I think it's because the average American is in a crippling amount of debt. It's really hard to give generously and to live a generous life when you are crippled with debt. And also, I think it's because we just have a lack of trust. I wasn't sure if I used trust or belief, okay? In Greek, it's pistuo, and it always takes the dative, uh, which is just a random fact that I can never get out of my mind, okay? Uh, whenever I hear, it's like, it takes the dative, and I don't even know what the dative means anymore, okay? But I know that that is what comes after this, okay? And it's like, it's just a, a lack of a belief that God is a God of abundance, and like, we live lives of scarcity, and then we live lives in which we hoard, in which we hold on to, in which we believe that if I let go of control of this, like, something wrong is going to happen. And I just do not believe that that is the case. The Proverbs don't tell us that. The Gospels don't tell us that. And that God himself is a God of radical abundance. I look back in my own life and I'm like, I just cannot believe the ways the Lord has provided over and over and over again. In this room right now, there are countless stories of those of you that are like, I am not sure how I'm going to go on this spring break trip. And my mailbox every day has random checks come into it from your friends, from your family, from, diff- from who knows who. And it's like, this is what the kingdom looks like. 